Hey, Parkview, I'm in Africa. We got our team over there, my wife and I, and, and uh, some of our team are over there getting the peace plan started, getting everything rolling, starting the, the purpose-driven training in uh, Africa. So I wanted to bring, and I can't wait to tell you about it, but I wanted to bring uh, my friend Hugh Halter in. I've been wanting to do this for a while. He consults with Richie. Um, he and Richie and, you know, and I all got kicked out of Bible college at some point. We're all kind of cut out of this cloth where we want to try to do church a little differently. If you remember the story of uh, the pastor who flipped his neighbors off to Jesus, that's you. Okay. I, again, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a good idea. Um, I'm just saying, you know, he, he is a guy who's going to come and bring us the idea of how to not do things in a traditional way in church. Uh, his new book, Brimstone, The Art of Holy Non-Judgment, is going to fit in exactly with what we been talking about around here and uh, plus he's just a fun guy so would you welcome my friend Hugh Halter morning how we doing good wow thank you good to be back um, I recognize some faces from last time I think it was about a year ago I was with uh, those of you that are leading groups and so good to see some of your faces the uh, the content we were really talking through was cultural engagement stuff, and so I appreciate Pastor Tim and Pastor Richie for bringing me back and maybe letting you in on the conversation a little bit. You guys mind if I throw Richie under the bus really quick before we get started? Because I don't know, I, I got a man crush on Richie uh, just when I saw how much hair he had, but uh, we've grown to be friends, and he, he came by my place uh, this last August. I have a pastor's retreat at our ranch in Denver. And I uh, have about 25 pastors from around the country come. And we do, you know, lots of like, you know, God stuff. And then um, I ask them to bring workout equipment and gear because I, I don't tell them what we're going to do, but I say we're going to have a physical experience together. And so just for kicks and giggles, I uh, got my yoga instructor to come. We're going to talk a lot about yoga instructors today, but I got uh, this guy named Justin to come. And he ran a yoga experience for the guys. They didn't know what was coming. They just, so start picturing Richie in his little gym shorts. Okay, so we get all the, all the pastors out on like a horse arena. It's in the sand, kind of in the dirt. And uh, Justin is this guy that every inch of his body is a tattoo. Um, fairly amazing creature, this guy. And he tells all the guys to get down. He goes, hey, do you guys want to try something that you've never done and will never do again? And right then, see, I don't actually know what he's going to do, but I'm thinking, I know Justin, we should all say no to this. <laughs> but they're all pastors, so they, of course, went, oh, yeah, let's, let's do something cool. And uh, so he goes, all right, everybody, find, find a partner, somebody that you don't know. And uh, right there, strike one for me. I don't like to, like, I don't like that when they say, hey, turn around and meet somebody. Like, that stuff kills me. So he goes, find a partner, somebody you don't know. And I want you to, to sit all on one towel. That's a strike two. Two men sitting on a towel. And he goes, you're going to have to sit close enough to where your knees are actually touching. So we have to go Indian style. And now you're, are you there? Like you got Richie in your mind right now? Okay. And so we're touching knees with somebody that we don't know. And he says, what we're going to do is you're going to stare into the eyes of that other man until I tell you to stop. So right now, all the men are thinking, just kill me, type of thing. <laughs> and literally for 10 minutes, 10 minutes, he's having us look into the eyes of this other stranger 
And he's doing some stuff to help us connect and understand the human element of the other guy. And, you know, I suppose it was cool stuff, but, but it sucked, quite frankly. <laughs> and uh, so when we were done, we're debriefing this. And I said, look, out of all the stuff we've done, you know, what's been the most powerful experience? And most of the pastors said that experience with Justin was the most powerful. There was something, something about, like, when you get pulled into something, I don't know if it's ever happened but have any of you ever actually been pulled into something that you would not have normally chosen to do? And then after the experience is over, you actually go, maybe my life has changed a little bit. Just show of hands. If any of you have ever been forced to do something, and then it changes who you are. Well, welcome to the world that is following Jesus. Because if you read the scriptures, you know every time you read, it's like every paragraph is like made-for-movie type of stuff. You have normal men and women that are going about their business. They run into Jesus. And Jesus begins to go, hey, let's go here today. And uh, something happens, something they could have never pulled off or experienced or wanted to. If, like, if, he, if he would have told them, here's what's going to happen today, they would have went, no, we're going to stay home. And yet... Change by change, powerful change, you see stuff happening. I wanted to bring this up this morning because we're doing kind of a brimstone focus this morning. We brought some brimstone books, and um, brimstone is about judgment, but it's really more about what's happening in our culture today with all the stuff that's happening related to the church and the culture. I don't know if you've noticed, but things have gotten fairly wacky out there. Pretty wacky, pretty painful too. I mean, the stuff that happened a few days ago in a community college where, I don't know about you, but it makes you, if you're a parent, it makes you want to pull your kids out of the public domain. It makes you not want to ever be out there. And this oftentimes is what we feel in the church. Uh, we know God comes back someday and he takes us off into this paradise. But while we live on this earth, sometimes we just sort of like don't want to participate and growing up in church, sometimes we're taught not to participate. We're taught to stay away from those people and those sinners and all that stuff that those people do. And that's really what's happened with the evangelical church. The world out there does not view us as a friend. The world views us as an adversary. People that are afraid to bake cakes for people that don't share our sexual orientation. We're afraid uh, that we may not get the right person in the office who will... Uh, politically move our agenda the way that we would like it to go. And so all these factors happen. And yet I just want to kind of throw this at you. I actually don't think Jesus is freaked out. I actually think he looks at us and what's happening in the world, and there might even be a grin on his face. Uh, that he, He's got it. He knows what to do. But he's going to need us to rethink how we engage and how we interact with normal humans. And so just case in point, I, I happen to be in a tattoo parlor uh, I don't want to give you the details of why I was there, but I was with my daughter, chaperoning her. Um, I've made many mistakes as a dad. This might have been one of them, but uh, my, uh, my daughter's had a friend that died of bone cancer when he was 13, and so a bunch of their friends got together and were talking about how to remember Tyler, and so there was a two-year conversation about whether or not I would let McKenna get tattooed, and it just came to a head, and finally I just took her in. And this guy named Sean was a tattoo artist, and Sean was your classic tattoo guy. McKenna introduced me as her dad. Hey, my dad's a pastor. Um, he goes, that's great. I'm an atheist. So that's kind of how our relationship began. I'm like, that's great. Nice to meet you. And, and, uh, but yet, over that one session with him and my daughter, I just felt like I've got to know this guy. And so I began to go back 
month after month and let them sort of work on me. Look, if you're middle-aged, I'll just tell you, if you worry about all that stuff, just it, it is a fabulous way to hide unsightly fat, fat pockets like that form on your body, so just whatever. That's why I do it. So I go back time and time again. And uh, normally he would not talk. He would just crank the acid rock music, and he would just work on me. He'd say a few things. And uh, this one time, about 10 sessions in, he uh, is waiting at the door, and he has kind of a smile on his face, which I had not seen. And uh, he goes, hey, he called me the Rev. Hey, Rev, um, before we get started, I just want you to know, like, I have a gift for you today. And I was like, oh, Sean, that's very nice. And uh, he's kind of holding it behind his back. And he said, and before I give it to you, I just want you to know, like, when we see your name on the schedule, like, we get really, me and my wife, Joy, get really excited. And uh, we've come to love your whole family. This would become a family affair. And uh, he goes, I love your wife. Your daughters are amazing young women. I've never met girls like that. And he said, we just love you guys, your whole family. And so he goes, I have a present for you. And uh, so he, he takes it out, and it's a, um, it's a big bag of marijuana. Now, I'm from Denver, Colorado, so it's legal there. It's just, I guess it's just like having a Coca-Cola, whatever. But he goes, hey, uh, he just presents it to me, and he says, I don't know what you pastors do with this stuff. So he said, I, I don't know what you pastors do with this stuff, but I just wanted you to have it. So, so I got this small ranch. I was thinking on the way home, what, what do pastors do with this stuff? And uh, we had had these chickens that my wife, we just bought this ranch. I'm, a, I'm an inner city guy. But we got, all of a sudden, we're living out my wife's dream of horses. So we got two horses. We got some chickens. And don't worry, I didn't give it to the horses or anything like that. But, but the chickens, uh, several of them stopped laying eggs. And my wife really wants eggs, so she keeps buying more chickens. So we have, like, this production problem. And uh, I eventually said, babe, we're getting too many chickens that are crapping everywhere. And, like, we've got to, like, if we're going to get more, we've got to do something with the other ones that aren't productive. And so she goes, well, just look, don't tell me what you do, and I don't want to see anything, but just do what you need to do. So I didn't know what to do with chickens that are unproductive. So I Googled how to off a chicken on the Internet. And there's these terribly traumatic videos of, like, farmers that show you what to do with unproductive chickens. And I, I'm an animal lover, and so I didn't want to do any of that. So I, I devised my own method. I went and got one of my son's uh, long samurai sword. I just thought, I'm just going to do a little, like, they don't even see it. And, uh, and so I waited till they turned their back, and I literally, and it was perfect. There was no drama. There was no chicken noises or anything, except I didn't notice, and I forgot because I'm not a farmer, but I didn't clear the other chickens from the coop. So the other five were back there watching what was going on. And those of you who have had chickens, raise your hand, okay? I'd never seen this, but chickens, like, they shake. They squat down and they're shaking, and all of them stop production. It freaked them all out. And so I was, for a couple days, I was trying to think, well, what do you do? And then I thought, the weed. Like, <laughs> like, maybe these chickens just need to chill out a little bit, you know? So I went out there when Cheryl wasn't looking and just kind of... <laughs> Two days, eggs start popping, okay? <laughs> now, I know you go, okay, the marijuana, it's never going to make it to Chicago. It is. It's coming. It will be legal in every 
land. I just, we're going to talk about a lot of wacky stuff today, but just a thought, we'll get started. God made the marijuana plant, okay? Let's just start there. I don't know why. Maybe it was for the chickens. Who cares? All right. So here's the other thing. Not only did I get the bag of weed, but uh, Sean gave me a quote that really formed the basis of the books that we brought for you today. And I was asking him one time, I said, Sean, why do you think so many people are into the, the new body art and the tattoo art and whatever? And uh, he started to talk, and I actually asked him to stop. I said, look, you got a pen. I want to write some of this down. So I want to read what Sean said. He said, what happens to our flesh stays on our flesh. If it's a scar, it stays. If it's our natural color, it stays. Our skin is us to others. It's what they see, and since our skin is able to bend and move, tighten and loosen, is able to communicate hundreds of unique emotions, feelings, and thoughts. He said you can't hide your skin. Most of our nerve endings are on our skin, so what happens to our flesh is usually obvious to someone watching us. We feel the world through our skin, and our flesh is the front door to our emotions. Our flesh is the most vulnerable part of our bodies, and oftentimes the reasons why people have been judged, abused, enslaved, or stereotyped. And he said, flesh matters. And I wrote this, therefore to have skin is to be human. And that's why flesh becomes the single most important theological and practical essence of our faith. And here's why. I want you to listen to this. That God as spirit intentionally put on skin for us. It's called the incarnation. It means to take on flesh. When we think about how to engage the world, um, I don't know how to work out all the issues related to how they redefine this and how somebody does that and why they don't do life and behavior the way we may think that it would be better for them to do. But I do know this is that Jesus had some way of influencing people that were just like the people that we live around, right? As you look at his way, I'm just going to give you, this is kind of a, an outline. I began to just study, okay, how did Jesus makes so much influence in the hearts and lives of people. And, and it just began by this. Now, I'm going to give you the overview. Begins with incarnation, taking on flesh. He jumped into the human condition. He didn't stand back in heaven and set up a website and say, hey, here's some doctrine and theology. Make sure you read it and line your life up. He actually said, that's not going to get it done. There was so much religious stuff going on in the time of Jesus that he actually thought the only way that I'm going to help them straighten it all out and really see who my father is is I'm going to have to come in the flesh. John 1.14, my favorite scripture. I think it's the most important scripture in the New Testament. I think it's the most important scripture about what your life could someday be like. It says, and the word became flesh. Okay, The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. And it says, and so we were able to perceive See the glory of God. And then it says, and he came full of grace and truth. That when you think about why Jesus came, he was really trying to help people to see exactly what dad is like. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Uh, other scriptures say he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So if you ever really wonder out of all the stuff you've grown up with religiously, whether there was some Catholic, there was some Protestant, some Southern Baptist, some whatever it was, anything out there, if you ever go, okay, what really is God like? Because he certainly can't just be like the Catholic thing, and he can't just be like the Protestant. He can't, like, is he really an evangelical? If you really want to figure out who God is like, all you have to do is really look at the human life of Jesus, and you'll know exactly 
what God is up to. And so Jesus incarnates. He drops in. We're going to talk about that. He begins to live in certain ways that got people talking. He got a reputation. And although the religious leaders of the day didn't like him, the peasants and the prostitutes, the plumbers, they loved him because he did stuff that made sense to people. And so the reputation moves, and he eventually gets to have some conversations that you and I would love to have with people. But when I, when I talk to most Christians, none of us have had these conversations. People don't ask us our opinion. We're the last people they might go to for some spiritual help now. They know what they're going to get from us, or at least they think they do. And, but Jesus got to have these beautiful conversations with amazingly jacked up people, right? And in that, you'll see that there's kind of a natural confrontation. People started to realize, oh, I need Jesus. And they would actually bring their sins to him. He didn't have to always put a finger in the chest. They would just come to him. And then eventually, we had full transformation, like people would be changed, And so when you read the scriptures, recognize that there is a way that Jesus came to the earth. Now, most of us are like, love that. But if I was to say that Jesus' way is to become your way, that might be a head scratcher. Because I didn't grow up being taught that the way of Jesus should be my way. I, I was taught that I should love Jesus. And that the reason why Jesus came to earth was simply to die for my sins. And so that's what... Oftentimes we believe he only came to earth to die for sins. And obviously it's a biggie, right? So if Jesus doesn't come and pay for the sins of humanity, none of us even have a shot, okay? All of us have sin. All of us are messed up by it, and we feel the effects of sin in our lives. So if Jesus doesn't do that, the game is up. But if I say, is there any other reason why Jesus came to earth? Sometimes we go, I don't know. And I want to submit to you that I think there is something that is just as important to Jesus about why he came, and that was to teach us how to be human again. That he wants to come off the cross a little bit. See, when he's on the cross, you'll oftentimes notice that his head is bowed and his eyes are closed because he's just died for our sins. And so when we see that, we can get very emotional. We're very thankful for what he does for us, right? And so we can worship and we can sing and we can come to church because of what he did on the cross, but the gospel, the story, the good news is that Jesus came off the cross, and even before he came off and before he went on, he was a man that lived, and he taught us how to live, and so listen to these scriptures. This is why the apostle Paul, when the whole Jesus thing had stopped, he's now dead, he's come back, he's now left again, so now it's with a small band of people that are going to change the earth. Paul begins to go, and say things like this, so, okay, I've been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer I who live, but what? It's Christ who does what? Who lives, okay? And so the way to think about that is, is if you really let Jesus not just be your Savior, but you let him be the person that guides your humanity, then he gets to live you. So he gets to parent your kids He gets to drive and hop in your car and go to your job site and live next to your crazy neighbors, and he has to be married to your wacky spouse and whatever it is, okay? But Jesus gets to live you. That's literally what Paul's talking about. And later on as a pastor in that same book of Galatians, he's speaking as somebody that's that's spiritually overseeing the development of people, and he says, I'm going to remain among you until Christ be formed in you. Okay, so we oftentimes think about spiritual formation as 
you know, stopping the big sins and learning how to go to church and worship and, you know, those types of things. But we, we don't oftentimes think that spiritual formation is learning to live in the neighborhood like Jesus lived in the neighborhood. That's why at the end of Colossians, Paul again said, it's Christ in you. Not just the theology of Jesus or the doctrine of Jesus or the traditions that you picked up in church about Jesus, but sorry, the, until Christ, his life becomes your life, then we actually have the hope of glory. In other words, God's hope for the world is that Jesus gets in you. Now, for the stubborn ones of us that go, oh, this is crazy talk, First uh, John says, if anybody claims to be in him, so if you claim to be a, a Jesus follower, it says you must... <laughs> You must walk as Jesus walked. And Jesus himself said, like if we're going to listen to anybody, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, this is how, I, how Dad sent me into the world, I now send what? You. So what if being a disciple is literally learning to, to live your human life the way Jesus lived his? And if that is a possibility, then I think everything changes. So you're going to have to learn maybe a couple things. We'll just really quickly talk about these two. I think that if you learn to live these two like Jesus did, the last three take care of themselves. I think it just flows naturally. So the key to the incarnational way of life is that you would take on flesh, that you would become more human. The way that you do that is just, I just call it, you drop in, okay? You drop in. You no longer just go, okay, I'm going to have my work zone, and then I'm going to do the church thing. All of a sudden, everything's integrated, People now become the focus of your life. Whether or not you're, intro I'm an introvert, which means that I don't really like humans. Okay, that's my natural. I'd rather always be with me. I love me. Okay, I never argue with me. I don't ever ask me to get up from a nap early or put down the fork. You've had enough. I just like I get along with me awesomely. Okay, but the gospel is not just for me. The gospel is for them. So you dive in. It was one time after, it was a Monday morning, it was after a Sunday church service, and uh, people were coming up after I spoke, and the first person complained about the music choices, the second person complained about my preaching style, and the third person got upset because we didn't have vegan communion crackers. <laughs> so I was kind of losing it Monday morning. I was like complaining to my wife. And she's like, look, you got to quit belly aching and just go meet some new people. What she meant was you need to go hang out with some normal humans. And um, so there was a little yoga commercial on. This is where the yoga thing started for me. I can tell this is not a yoga body. I'd never, I hadn't stretched since the third grade, okay? <laughs> but I see this commercial. I'm like, well, that would be an interesting group of people to get to know. And so I went down to the sporting goods store and I bought a little yoga mat and a little leotard jumpsuit thing, and I cut my toenails, and I headed off for my first yoga class, and that was when I first met Justin, the one that Richie got to hang out with, and I saw him. I was like, amazing looking dude. Uh, we, we talked a lot. He led a few classes, and, uh, and eventually, you know, I kind of lost track with him. It was, it was interesting. I don't know if you remember it was right when that was going on. There was a national news story on CNN. I saw it in the airport flying back from Atlanta, and it was pastors all over the country that were condemning the practice of yoga. Anybody remember that? A couple years ago, watching all these people just look at the TV, is like, oh, there they go again, the Christians, just kind of judging everybody. And so that night I went back, and I went to a yoga class, and Justin was there, 
And as I walk in, he goes, uh, hey, Hugh, did you see that uh, story on CNN? I said, like, yeah, Justin, I was at the airport. I just saw it. He goes, that's great, your people. They're awesome. <laughs> and I had to apologize, and I had to go, yeah, a lot of our, our movement is very afraid of other spiritual thoughts and religions. And he goes, so why do you come? And I, I made up a little bit of a fib. I said, well, I just enjoy the workout. I actually don't. I hate the workouts. They, <laughs> they heat up the room to about 110, and then you just, like, sweat all your body fluids out. So that's yoga. And, uh, and I said, well, Justin, actually, I'd love to hear what got you into it. Like, how much of this is spiritual for you? How much is physical? How much is just a job? And he goes, cool, let's go out for dinner after class tonight. Love to tell you. And so got to hear a story. It's actually interesting that you could have an approach to the culture and you could condemn things that people do. But Jesus actually said, I did not come into the world to what? I didn't come into the world to condemn, but to what? But to save, to jump in. And so Justin became a friend, although I lost track of him. Sometimes that's what we do. We, we enter human relationship for a while, and then it kind of fades away, and we just go back to our lives. Well, I did that. And uh, about a year ago, a friend of mine, another pastor, we were, we were kind of sitting down in, in my barn, and we were talking about how we just wanted to see the power of God again, like stuff had gotten dry and we just were realizing what would really change everything is if we really felt like God was leading us and we saw him do stuff with people. So we made a commitment. We'd try something together and we thought, let's just get up in the morning and pray and give God permission, ask God to do something and then obey whatever comes to our minds. So the next morning I started this and I woke up, poured my coffee, sat on my deck. I said, okay, God, I'm on duty today for you. Whatever you want to do. I've got some things to do, but you've got... You've got me today. I would love to be led by you, God. Who do you want me to pray for? And immediately Justin's name came into my mind. And, uh, and so I, was, I just started to pray for Justin. I'm like, and I remember saying, God, if you can connect me with him, I'd love to see him again. And so I went off to work out, and I stopped by a Jamba Juice, and guess who's in line right in front of me? This is in a town of two million people. So I pinched him on the butt. And he turned around, he gave me a big hug, and he's like, dude, he goes, I was, I was like, it was weird, I was thinking about you this morning. And I was like, yeah, I was thinking about you too. And, and, uh, and so two days later, my wife and I are antiquing 40 minutes away, and Justin's and his girlfriend are there, and he sees me, and he goes, dude, and drops a few F-bombs, and he's like, do you think there's a... Because like he's a super spiritual guy. He goes, you think there's a reason why we've connected like this? And I said, I think there is. He goes, what do you think we should do about it? I said, I think we should become lifelong friends. And he goes, I agree. How do we do that? I said, let's just start, <laughs> let's just start meeting. We'll like meet every week or every other week. And so we've been doing that. And see, now this is the interesting thing. When you really take on the way of Jesus and you jump into relationships the main thing that Jesus was known for was being a friend of sinners, right? That was his business card, Matthew 11. John the Baptist did not come drinking, but Jesus, the Son of Man, came eating and drinking. And so we called him a drunk and a glutton, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And who was he a friend with? Well, there was guys like Levi who, if he doesn't incarnate with, and we don't have the book of Matthew in the Bible, but Levi was a tax collector. Everybody hated his guts. He was a dirty, rotten scoundrel, ripping people off. 
And as he would sit with not just Levi, but all the tax collectors in town, people would go, even his own disciples would probably say, hey, Jesus, can we have a word with you? Um, So thank you for bringing us to that really stupid dinner tonight with these guys, but actually we hate these guys. Been ripping our families off for years. But these guys apparently respect you, and so we were just wondering, why do you not just confront them on their sin? I mean, they would probably listen to you. And don't you think that by eating with them, like you were cracking jokes and like you looked like you actually liked them. And so they probably think that you're condoning their lifestyle. Don't you think it'd just be better to just condemn what they're doing? And see, isn't that always the issue when we find people that we know Jesus would like us to love on, but then they don't live or believe or have sex the way that we have sex. And so we go, no, we got to pick a side. We have to either condone or condemn is our thinking, but I do want to tell you that Jesus gives you a third option. You don't have to do either of those first two. Third option is to eat with people. To simply eat with people. Eating means that you accept them just the way they are, and eating also leads to a conversation. And conversation is where Jesus begins to change the lives of people, but the eating part is, that's his way. He just ate with just like, it was crazy, the, the worst of the worst, the woman caught in adultery, what's he do in that moment? And this woman has really sinned, right? And people would have said, well, if we don't, I know it's harsh that we throw boulders on her head and we stone her for this. I know it's harsh, but if we don't make a stand, then the culture is just going to keep getting darker and darker. So I, we're just going to have to do this. And Jesus would then, remember what he does? He just kicks everybody out of the temple, says, you have not sinned. Go ahead and start chucking the first rock. And then he has a conversation again with this woman. Woman, where are your accusers? And she says, sir, they're all gone. And then Jesus says, amazing. He says, woman, neither do I condemn you. Now this is, this is the God of the universe that's actually going to take her sin and die on the cross for it. It's amazing. I just want to leave you with these thoughts this morning. If, if you wonder, well, how do we deal with all this stuff? Just look at Jesus just for a minute and just go, okay, what does that teach us? You have the most holy person that's ever lived. No sin in him, and yet he's the least judgmental person the world has ever seen. It would seem to make sense that if we who follow Jesus were like him, that the Christian movement should really be known as the least judgmental movement the world's ever seen. On the same line, you have the most righteous person that's ever lived. He lived right. He lived the best. And yet there's no self-righteousness in him. And you guys know what self-righteousness is? It's when you think your sins are not as bad as somebody else's sins. And the church has been really gifted at this. We like to just overlook our heterosexual sins, but we'll call out the homosexual sin, and we'll make that the big evil of the day. And I think Jesus would teach us, no, actually, look at me. I have no sin in me, and I don't, I don't give them an air of self-righteousness. So I wonder if you who do keep sinning your faces off could show just a little bit more. Remember Jesus, he came full of what? Grace and truth. And yes, he did at the end of that conversation say, woman, go and sin no more. But he had her at hello. He had won her heart. See, Jesus has has tried to teach us. We just don't get it, that you don't ever get a change of behavior until you get a change of heart. And the way that you get a change of heart is you become a friend. You can't love what you judge. It's a crazy deal. It would change the way that we parent our kids. It would change the way we would relate to our neighbors. 
Where did it end up with Justin? Well, we've stayed friends. And uh, the other day, you know, I told you about sometimes when you get pulled into something you don't want to do, it turns out being a really cool, like God is doing something we can't figure out. But Justin uh, stole one of my brimstone books, and he said, hey, I love the way you talk about Jesus. I want to interview you in front of all my yoga friends. So Justin does these videos where he does a yoga class, and it goes out to many, many yoga instructors around the country. And so uh, he said, just come down. I want to have you be in a class. We'll have you in the class, and we'll do the interview. And so I'm like, okay, cool. thought it would be an interesting opportunity. And uh, I get down there. There's only one mat in the whole place, and there's all these, like, real yoga people. And I'm like, hey, Justin, how come there's only one mat there? He's like, well, I just decide it's just you and me. Just you and me are going to do the video. I'm like, in front of, like, like, all these people? And so I'm, like, tapping out again. I'm like dude, I'm not comfortable with this. And he just goes, well, you're doing it. And, uh, and I settled in. I just realized, okay, God must be up to something. And so we do this really embarrassing class. And, uh, and then he does an interview with me at the end. And all the yoga instructors stay. And he just asked me about, like, it's the clearest I've shared the gospel message ever. And I, I actually stopped him at one point. I said, hey, stop the camera. I said, dude, do you want me to talk this openly about Jesus? And he said, yeah, like, I love it. <laughs> he goes, just keep going. And so at the end of that, all the yoga instructors just came up, and they just they gave me hugs, and they said that was never heard anybody talk like Jesus about, like that. And then this one woman at the very end, she was about my age, she runs all the, t- all the spiritual teaching for the yoga leaders in Denver. And she said, you know, she told me what she did, and she said, is there any way that you would come maybe every other week and just teach that stuff about Jesus to our yoga community. And I said, well, sure, I'd love to. See, at the end of that scripture where it says Jesus was a friend of sinners, it's, well, Jesus said this. He says, wisdom is proved right by its results. And I will tell you, if you're tired of the results that you've seen in your own family by beating the heck out of your own children or your spouse based on Bible verses, if you've seen the, the fruit of that spoil, if you've seen years go by and nobody's ever asked you about your faith and you're estranged from your neighbors and other people that you work with, and would you consider that maybe the way of Jesus, wisdom is proved right by its results. It worked for Jesus. It seems to have worked in my life so many times I cannot deny that when I can't figure out what to do, if I can't figure out what, I mean, good grief, look, our only option probably this next year politically, like to get our votes in, is it going to be between Hillary or Trump? Are you kidding me? So if you're hoping that the world will get better through politics, maybe the way of Jesus would actually be the way that we could see the world changed again. Agreed? Maybe? Consider? Lord, thank you. God, thank you, and would you give your favor and your blessing to these people as they extend to new campuses in other parts of the city, as they are placed in position and live in these neighborhoods all over this side of Chicago. God, would you bless and favor us with your grace and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.